now you're an adult and then you're like still accustomed to asking people for permission. And the only person that you need to really ask is yourself and check in with your ethics and with your values. Welcome to Good AF, the podcast that interviews good guys who do good things. I'm your host, Matthew Nadeau. Why so serious? Why do we take ourselves so seriously? In an age of social media and perceived perfection, it's easy to fall into the trap of losing sight of that inner child. In this episode of Good AF, author and creative Maceo Paisley asks himself the question regularly, then deep dives into that fear of potential rejection. On the other side is a freedom and opportunities one could only dream of, which has put him on some of the biggest stages, revealing some of life's greatest revelations. start this holding off who was Maceo uh, I would say that the four words that describe me best are this four words that I use to describe myself on every every platform I think is a dancer designer thinker and optimist mm -hmm. and I say that because the way that I move through the world is I see life as music and I'm a dancer who's responding to the music thinker is like you know I try to be intentional about the things that I do which lead me to design systems and ways of being that support the thoughts and ideas that I have an optimist because I I'm trying to, you know, I have faith that those things are leading me, you know, to a positive, you know, place. Yeah. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to like make good on just trying to make good on who I was as an eight year old kid and like make that person proud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is that something you think about a lot? Yeah, I, I really do. I think about like, well, what would Maceo as a kid, think about the life that he's living now as an adult. Yeah. And I never wanted to grow up and be like, oh, you turned into like a loser <laughs> <laughs> based on like, do you remember that movie Hook? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dustin so, Hoffman. Yeah. So he's like, he realized that he grew up to be a lawyer, um, the Robin Williams mm -hmm. Peter character. And he's like, man, what happened to you? you? You were so cool. And now you're like a lawyer. Yeah. Which is, it's not bad to be a lawyer, but it's just like, if you're going to be a lawyer, you should still like honor your interperson, like your internal spirit, your inner child. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like kind of just selling out to whatever it is. Yeah. 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 So it seems easy. Who am I? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big kid in a, in a, trying to convince people that I'm adult to get things done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. So you have a new book out, the Tao of Maceo. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed the first thing that I noticed is that you dedicated the book to your mom. Mm hmm. Yeah, my mom passed away in uh, 2012 to cancer, and I really didn't get a chance to get to know her like my father because she was my mom the mm -hmm. whole time, and she never became to me like a, a, a woman who happened to be the person that raised me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like when she had me, she was only a few years younger than I am now. And I think about that and I think about the journey that she was on and like how I became included in that journey. And I, I just thought about that and wanted to get it, dedicate that to the wisdom that I got from her that allowed me to like even write the book that I that I did. Yeah. What was your childhood like? You, you mentioned, you know, you don't want to let your eight year old self kind of down in like the yeah. band that you are today. My childhood is like my secret weapon. It was a great childhood. My dad was super, super strict. Um, but also like not for no reason, mm -hmm. um, and very intentional. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and my mom was super loving and supportive and nurturing. Um, but also knew when to, you know, sort of provide feedback and, and rein things in. And so, you know, I had the kind of home where any book that I could read, there was no censorship, um, around that. Mm -hmm. If I wanted a, you know, a Nintendo or a video game, I had to like bring home grades to earn that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I never got a new bike, but I always had toys, right? Like I always got like a bike from a thrift store. So I learned how to repair my own bikes, you know? So it was like anything that I wanted, it wasn't like it was just given to me, mm -hmm. but I had access to it. And with like a little work, yeah. I could make it happen. Has that influenced you now? In, in like kind of your journey? Yeah, I mean, I'm super resourceful. 
you know, I think I've been able to like MacGyver my way to my own version of success. Yeah. Um, with like bubble gum and toothpicks, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it holds, it works. It's like MacGruber from yeah. uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's awesome. So where, where are you initially from? Um, I was born in Boston, mm -hmm. Dorchester, Massachusetts. You know, I didn't spend a ton of time there, but I made my way out to California um, when I was younger and spent some time in Palmdale, lived in Virginia, and um, then moved to Los Angeles uh, as an adult. Mm -hmm. You know, was pretty much coming here because of the, the creative industry yeah, and the, um, the sunshine. And well, yeah, obviously. How old were you when you made the move out here? Um, I was in my twenties, I don't know, 22 mm -hmm. something like the standard. Yeah. You know, like what, what's, what's next for me? What's, what am I going to be head West live my dreams? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty literally like pack up a U-Haul with my whole, everything I own, got an apartment, try to make stuff happen. Were your parents supportive in that move? Yeah. They were like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're like, that's what you want to do. Go for it. You know, my dad had a restaurant and my brother worked in the restaurant. I wasn't expected to like go back home and work in the family business or anything. They were just like, go ahead, make, make a life for yourself. We, we know that this is what being young is all about. So like find your path. Yeah. How much of that support from them played into you actually going out and doing it and knowing. Well, I mean, that's that. why I say my childhood is my secret weapon is because I never was told I couldn't. I was always told that if I wanted to get started, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I wasn't given a bike. I wasn't told I couldn't have a bike, but I was like given bike parts. You know, it's like <laughs> if you if you put some energy into it, then it will become a bike. Mm -hmm. And so I always had like opportunity. I never had the thing handed to me. I always had like opportunity to make the thing. Yeah. So I'm always like into Legos and stuff like that, where it's like, here's all the parts. You know, what you make of it is up to you. Yeah, I feel like that's key because so many people, especially like even me, like when I came to L.A., I did a lot of hard work and I came for entertainment. I did a lot of hard work on the East Coast, but I thought just because now I'm in L.A., things should just kind of be given oh, yeah, to me. Nobody and cares. I got slapped in the face hard. No, it's like it's realizing like, like no, that's not how it works. Yeah, it's like every you know, you're like big fish in your hometown or wherever you came from or maybe you're not a big fish, but you have like dues that you've paid. Mm -hmm. And then they get here like, yeah, we don't accept that currency. Yeah, no, no one cares. So you spent some time in the military. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I was in the army for five years and did, did you go right after high school? Yeah. I was, um, in, uh, high school and nine 11 happened mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to art school. I'm going to go try to figure out what the hell's going on with the, with the Taliban. <laughs> and then I ended up in Iraq. So it was like, wow very disenchanting to be in the military at a time where I'm like, I don't know why I'm fighting this other war, but you know, after that I got out and I was like, kind of not into the military as much. I became like violently like anti government and military for a while. And then more recently also was like dealing with my own like trauma and stuff yeah. around the experience, but sort of kind of gradually came back to a place where I'm more settled. What do you mean by other war? Like, you know, the whole idea of I was in Iraq fighting the Iraqi war when there was, you know, um, Afghanistan, you know, and we were supposed to be try, trying to find the Taliban or, you know, whatever, who was responsible for the 9-11 attacks. Mm -hmm. And then I found myself in Iraq helping to overthrow. I was actually in Iraq when we brought Saddam Hussein's body back. Wow. After like the mission, like that was, I was, that was what I was supporting. And so I was like, okay, cool. So we're cheering because we brought down this, this governmental leader, but that's not like why I joined the military. Yeah. So it was like a weird sort of bait and switch of the cause that I wanted to participate in. Yeah. But hey, you know, like I said, kind of rejected that lifestyle for a while and then sort of gradually came to peace with my participation. So you were, you're a teenager, like barely even a young man. And you made that decision. Mm -hmm. Was that something that was just like very instinct that to see to me, there's a lot of honor in that. And that makes me kind of think of like World War Two, like when the <laughs> attack happens, everybody's like, all right, let's go sign up and go. Yeah. I mean, I'm just the kind of guy who's like, 
I don't know, for better or worse, I have like a little bit of a hero complex. You know, if there's like a guy who's getting picked on, the guy who's picking on him could be bigger than me, but I'm just like, hey, pick on someone your own size. And then next thing you know, no, I'm getting picked on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not always the smart thing to do, but that's just like, I don't know how I roll. Yeah. I love that. So after you come back from, from your service, and thank you, by the way. You're welcome. Is that when you made your move over to LA? Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to be doing the hard life anymore. Yeah. I want the easy life. I mm-hmm. want sunshine and beaches and everyone pretty. And, and so I was like, come to LA, be a creative. There's no lives on the line. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still found my way back to service, though. Yeah. And now I sort of think of my art as like being of service. How were you creative when you were in the military? Oh, man. How did you? You know what's so funny? My military career was really varied. I talk about being in uh, war and stuff, but I still I was also like in the Army Entertainment Division and I joined the soldier. So it was like an active duty soldier singing and dancing, traveling around. Yeah. It's like tap dancing. I recorded a mixtape when I was like overseas (laughs) You know, I had like all this recording equipment in my barracks room. We were making beats, making albums, mm-hmm. photoshopping like different backgrounds from like pictures that I took in my barracks room. Um, I've always had it. I've always been an artist. So I, I was kind of glad that I didn't go to art school because I, I personally didn't need it. Mm-hmm. So when you get to L.A. and then what what do you start doing to jump into that creative like that creative um, so vibe that you what have. I could, I could shoot camera. And so I just started taking pictures of people that I thought were interesting. Mm-hmm. And I would just scour the like local newspaper for events. And then I would go with my camera and I would tell them I'm shooting for citizens of culture. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, okay. I would try to get press passes for stuff. And I would take my camera and I would meet people. I'd get their email address. And that's how I made friends. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just jumping right into it. Yeah. Just doing that. And then if I met somebody who was cool, I would say, hey, where are you going next week? And I would always, for the first, I think maybe like three or four years I lived out in L.A., I always had my camera with me. Mm. That's amazing how, how making that move starts to build your community, mm-hmm. especially to where you are now. And the, the one thing that I've, I first, when I first met you, uh, I went on your Instagram mm-hmm. and you're very active on Instagram and, yep. and you're very entertaining on Instagram. Thank you. Um, can you go from what that meant to you as a creative to be able to put whatever you're working on out there and to be able to build your community like exponential? So what the funny thing about that is, is I didn't even like Instagram or social media at all. I was never really participatory on it. I got on Facebook because a girl that I liked who lived across the country said that's where I am. And that's what I use the most. I'm not going to email you back and forth. Just message me on Facebook. And I was like, whatever. So I joined <laughs> Facebook. So I joined Facebook. Instagram, I started a sock company. And then I was like, well, it's an e-commerce business, so I should be where the people are. Mm-hmm. And so I got on like begrudgingly in like, I don't know, 2011. And then I realized, oh, you can, you can like type long captions and like put whatever you want under the photos. And put whatever you want in these boxes. And then when stories came out, I had been on Snapchat for a while. And so I kind of understood that you could leverage that technology to sort of get your messaging out there. And I think the coolest thing about the Internet is you can find people like yourself in other places in the world. Right. And so when I realized I was able to do that, I just was like, you know what? I think I'm a I'm a pretty eclectic person. Mm -hmm. So there should be plenty of people I could connect with. And How'd so, that work out for you? So far, so good. It seems like I'm meeting interesting people. Um, and I just like to have fun with it. It's like, uh, you know, in the section above my name on Facebook and on Instagram, it says, like, what kind of business you are. And mm-hmm. mine says just for fun. So, like, the moment it's not fun anymore, I won't do it. Mm. And I feel like now Instagram's putting out these new algorithms where you're not going to have likes on there. And I yep. feel like it went from this platform where everybody was starting everybody was initially having fun and sharing their life and then the whole influencers thing started happening Mm -hmm. and then it shifted from oh this is just a place where we all just collaborate to oh now it's strictly just a business yeah because i know i get in the modes where i'm like oh i don't know what to put today or it's not getting this many likes and i'm like damn how superficial is this yeah point for me it was the opposite right because i joined because i had a sock company so it started off for me purely for marketing Mm. so my whole orientation towards social media is that this is where 
you're going to be able to connect with the largest number of people in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of effort. And so it was simple. And then as things started to change, I started to take it less seriously because I was becoming less and less interesting to me once I had like sort of uh, exited my sock company. But it got more fun because then I really didn't, the stakes were super low because I'm like, well, really all I want to do now is like make people laugh, inspire people, make them think differently, change their perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and that gave me a whole bunch of flexibility to like, you know, put on a, a, a video of me dancing naked or something in the snow. And then, you know, just talk about like the human body. And then people would be like, what? You're freaking actually naked. And I'm like, yeah, You're let's, out of control. let's see how much time it takes before, you know, it gets taken down. Mm -hmm. You know, what happens when stuff gets taken down? I, I mean, to me, I think it just shows it's the whole thing is a social experiment. That's what I'm doing. You know, it's like what, if nudity is something that's getting pulled off of a website, then that means that's where we are. It's a very clear marker of where we are as a society in our in relationship to the naked body mm -hmm. it means we're not ready to talk about it we're not ready to see it and that's why that content gets censored so you have some amazing okay so first of all you you found out that you can oh i can write these big long captions mm -hmm. and a lot of that went into that was some very deep thoughts that you put it out there and like you said it's a big social experiment and a lot of poetry so you have all this content mm -hmm. what do you do with that the funny thing about it is I have a really high uh, capacity to create work. And so the amount of content that's on Instagram is probably only about 10 to 15 percent of the things that I'm doing at any given time. And I'm posting like every day almost. So it's like, yeah, those are the photo shoots, the captions, the thoughts that are in my head. I have notebooks that I'm filling up. There's still pictures that I'm taking. I have all these folders of images on my phone that are for different references for different projects, dance videos online that have all these tabs saved, medium articles stacked that I'm reading and podcasts that I'm listening to. So I'm consuming and creating content at a really, really uh, intense pace just because that's what makes me feel good. Um, and that's even just the stuff that I'm creating, let alone that like the emotional pendulums up and downs of things that I'm feeling. So it's really a continuum and my Instagramming or my social media presence it's just snapshots of particular moments. It's like mm -hmm. taking a picture of a river. And then that led to your latest book that you have out. Right, yeah. Correct? So the idea was exactly that. It's like when you, for this idea of taking a picture of a river, it's like one, I put something up there and people might check it out for two days. But like there's stuff that I said six months ago that was really good that no one's reading anymore. And mm. I thought that that was really weird that I would like, you know, spend a day and a half thinking about a caption. And then people would read Attention it. Attention spans so people, fast. Yeah, people would read it once, and only for, and it only gets ninety minutes of engagement, if that. Mm -hmm. And then that's it; it's gone. So I said, well, I wanted to create something theoretically. Theoretically, well, it's it's gone from the the um, the uh, the the uh, from from being right in front of us. It's it's being it's gone from like contemporality. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I want to create something that was more permanent, more lasting, that could allow me to go deeper. And also was not, didn't have a character limit. Yeah. And so that's where I was like, cool, I'm going to write this book that pulls some of the ideas that I often hover around in social media, but allows me to expand on them in a way that can deepen my understanding with the way that I move through the world and also help people to understand like what I'm actually trying to say when I'm on the internet. Yeah. The very first thing that you say when, when you have your introduction is you compare it to a Rubik cube. Mm-hmm. Can you go into why this is like a Rubik's Cube? Yeah, so the Rubik's Cube is actually interesting to me as a metaphor because one, it seems like it's a really complicated thing, but it's actually a really simple thing with a lot of steps. And so it's like the book, writing it, reading it might seem like I'm covering a lot of information or that it's really deep, but also just like set it down when you're done, when you're full, when you're ready to move on to something else and then pick it back up later. Mm -hmm. and, and mess around with it, fool around with it, flip through it. And then, you know, kind of just put it in your pocket, beat it up, whatever. You know, rip out pages, dog ear corners. I see you got some dog ear corners Oh, there. yeah, I got a couple of them in there. Um, I love there's like a coffee stain. It's, it's like cool, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it was like that from shipping or what, but that's like... No, 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 that was me. That's how I wanted to look, you know, lived in, like some converse. I had it in my back pocket while I was hiking. Yeah, though. yeah, exactly. Go up to the top of a mountain, like open it see what page speaks to you 
let that passage like sink into you, you know, some dirt gets on it from your hand, put it back in your pocket, climb back down with Mm -hmm. that passage in mind. Yeah. And the thing I like about that is it's like your journey starts to become like my journey. Mm-hmm. And then it's like everybody's then then you initially start to realize, oh, this is all we're all part of this same general journey. Mm-hmm. We just kind of all see it different ways. Yeah. And for me, I the one thing I love about reading is kind of like a way to look into somebody else's like not necessarily their soul, but their mind and what they think and how they see the world. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy, I think, to to generally just see thing one one way. Like yeah. I'm from a small town outside of Philly. You're from like Boston. It's it's very easy in those two cities to be like narrow minded in the way that we think. And yeah. then you come to Los Angeles and it's like all these people from all over. And sometimes it's like, it's like an overload. Yeah. Well, that's the other side of it, right? Is that one, it gives you an opportunity to see, like look down my path, but it's also an opportunity for you to pull some time away from the noisiness and the busyness of everyone else's perspective mm. and what everyone else might want from you. And to just sort of carve out time to do your own thinking on some of the things that I ask you about in the book or some of the things that I talk about. One version of the book was going to have like blank pages for you to journal. Mm -hmm. But it's like, that's why I say put it down, think about it, and then carry on with your day. Because really, I believe that it's like the subconscious processing that makes the most impact on on our habits and stuff. Yeah, and you cover everything from identity to self awareness, relationships. You go into a lot of poetry, romance, productivity, purpose, passion. Yeah. You kind of hit a lot of these questions that I feel like a lot of people are constantly asking themselves, like where do I, or they don't ask themselves where they stand. And that's something that they should definitely dive into. Right. Because that's something that I noticed that I lack. One of the things that you said that's interesting in the book is you say that your default mechanic, your, your default is to like defend yourself. And your image at all costs. What do you mean by that? I mean that social credibility is a currency that we've learned to maintain and that I've learned to maintain because that credibility is what gets me recommendations for work. It's what when, you know, a girl asks another girl, like, what do you think of Maceo? If I get a positive review that is beneficial you know, whatever, that my value is affirmed through the eyes of others. Mm. So if someone attacks my credibility or my, or my value, um, I'm going to, my, my immediate impulse is to defend that credibility. Um, but that might not always be the mature response and might, that might not even be the necessary thing. It might be better to say, there's some truth in, in what they're saying and how can I learn from that truth and improve and grow? And mm-hmm. be better so that the next time it comes around, they're saying something else besides that. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I admire about you is you, you speak your mind in a lot of things that you put out. And not only speak your mind, but you, you're very open to what you're thinking. Where it seems like, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll be thinking something and I'll doll it down and I'll kind of censor it. And you're very straightforward with a lot of things that you say. And I appreciate that. And I And, and also that could have backlash that could, you know. People could love that. People could hate it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like you're being true and just putting that out there. Yeah. You're not really giving a shit what, what people have to say. Yeah. Um, I would say that I definitely give a shit what people have to say, but I just don't let it stop me. <laughs> that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm very sensitive to the feedback I get. I just don't let it stop me. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was the guy who didn't, who had zero fucks. I have many, many fucks and I'm trying to like, <laughs> control them so that they don't control me. Uh, you go into self-care and how important that is. And what does self-care look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think we're in this movement right now where we talk about self-care and, you know, it's like a a lot of things. It could be anything from smoking weed Mm -hmm. to quitting smoking weed, Mm. (laughs) right? It's like, what is it exactly? And so to me, self-care is like brushing my teeth, right? It's the things that I do on a regular basis that allow me to operate at a high level. And so physically, it's like brushing my teeth. It's like eating healthy food. Mentally, it might be uh, going to visit my dad um, and talking to my family and Mm -hmm. like filling up with reminders of who I am and where I come from. That's self-care. could be uh, getting a massage or taking a dance break. If I'm working on a spreadsheet for two hours, like hopping up and spending five or six minutes just like going crazy to a 
to a song and then sitting back down and like banging out the work. Listen, I know I'm not supposed to say I'm a good guy, but I've been using Good Guy Wellness hair products and they have me feeling good AF. Speaking of which, today's podcast is brought to you by Good Guy Wellness. Good Guy Wellness is a four-step hair care line designed to help good guys keep their hair on their heads. Try saying that five times fast. But seriously though, it's a four-step system. It's a shampoo, conditioner, topical solution, and these awesome gummies that will keep your hair looking healthy, strong, and most importantly, there. On February 15th, or February 5th, I believe, 2017, you have a, a section in your book where you have like semi like Instagram like passages that mm-hmm. you put in there along with poetry and, and your thoughts in general. But you put moving through the harmony of fear. It forms my movements, but does not dictate them. What do you mean by the harmony of fear? I think, you know, we're in this paradigm right now where people are really scared to embrace all parts of our humanity. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, violence is so bad. We have to eradicate that. Fear is so bad. We have to eradicate that. The ego is so bad. We have to eradicate that. And I'm like, no, those things were evolved into us for a reason. Violence is a thing that helps us as hunters. It, uh, it helps us as, as protectors. Mm-hmm. I think we want to manage that tendency and recognize that hey, we live in a society where we don't really need violence all that much. So temper it. But to eradicate it would be to eradicate something about our humanity. And same thing with fear. Yeah, fear and informed fear is really important. So I want to dance and live with the harmony within harmony of fear and say like, oh, what's it saying about me that I'm afraid of this, you know, being alone or something? Like, what is it saying about me that I'm afraid of moving forward in this area? And so that way I can, I can recognize an openness and a vulnerability in that area and work to fortify it so that from that fear, I like then become courageous. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. I feel like there's so many things that people semi get like, ah, it has a bad connotation. So let's just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's a reason why those things are there. Yeah. And we got to, to, like you said, deep dive and look into it mm-hmm. because that says a lot about us personally as like a culture, as like a people in general. Yeah. And a lot of things we don't necessarily need to be at the, like you said, we don't need to be at the level that we, we had to, mm-hmm. but you still, it, it's like anything, it adapts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do we adapt with that? Yeah. Yeah. I think about it in the same way as I think about technology is like we, a lot of times we think like, well, more technology, the better. And like, no, it's just like anything else. It's like fear, technology, balance. It's just like finding the harmony. Where's the sweet spot? Mm. And then also like, how can we find the new sweet spot when the world changes and then find the new sweet spot when we change and then find the new sweet spot as culture changes and continuing to learn and grow. And that's, I think where we see um, the, the, the desire to be the need to be compassionate for ourselves Mm -hmm. because we're always learning because things are always changing and we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. So it doesn't make sense to say like, oh, this, I did this thing because I was like led by fear. And so fear has to go, you know? And so I think instead it's saying, how can I, how can I use that as an edge? Was there ever a moment that you can think of off the top of your head where fear held you back into something? Yeah. Before I wrote the book, I was actually just chilling, you know, I was like making decent money, feeling good about myself, but I hadn't done anything that made me really nervous in a long time. And so, and I was like, Oh cool. I'm coasting. This is weird. What Mm. am I afraid of? And then I really, I realized that I was turning 33 and it's like my Jesus year. That's exactly why I went to Alaska Yeah, because Jesus spent time in the wilderness and I'm like, (laughs) I'm 33. I want to do this. That's hilarious. Yeah, dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's real. And so I was like, all right, if I want to figure this out and I, I what I realized I, I was hiding from my version of the um, you know crucifixion you know it's like the hero's journey it was hiding from my own rebirth mm. I was afraid of it I was afraid that um, moving into adulthood in quotes would mean that I would have to give up my joy and my creativity and my curiosity and you know, my hairline, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's like, no, I can, 
I can still be curious and sexy and fun and, and youthful no matter what is going on. That's, those are things that people choose to give up. And once I realized that I could still maintain those things and I was like, well, what does that eight year old kid want to do right now? Yeah. That I didn't have the agency to accomplish at eight years old. But now since I'm older, I have tools and access and I can like drive a car. You know what I mean? Like most importantly, you know what I mean? Like what, what are the things that I couldn't do then that I would have only dreamt of that I'm not pursuing right now? That's such an incredible way to look at it because just you saying that I'm like, man, imagine what, what eight year old Matt would say if I'm like, Oh, you're 33. You can literally do anything. Mm -hmm. You can go anywhere, hang out with, whatever people you want to do, you can literally do anything. Yeah. And the only restrictions we have are stuff that we put on ourselves. Yeah. And a lot of that is driven by fear. Yeah. It's also like, if you, if you think about it, it's like when you're eight years old, everything you wanted to do, you had to ask someone for permission, every single thing to do you wanted to do. And you had all this imagination and this like, you know, inquisition, but you always had to like ask someone to like do it for you. You couldn't reach up top or, you couldn't drive or you couldn't get there. You couldn't use a computer. It was PG-13. And now you're an adult and then you're like still accustomed to asking people for permission. And the only person that you need to really ask is yourself and check in with your ethics and with your values. And that's why I wrote the book is to check in with my ethics and values to say like, well, what is important to me? Mm -hmm. And what are the like natural, reasonable limits that I want to put on my excursions and my creativity so that I'm like doing things in a responsible way? that um, allows me to have, you know, fly at the highest heights. Yeah. You know, like I say, like a kite without a string is just a piece of fabric blowing in the wind. And so you need that tether, that grounding, you know, otherwise you're just blowing and you're not flying. Yeah. What's your greatest mistake? My greatest mistake? Um, I'm going to refuse that question mm. and I'm going to transfer it to, I will say that my biggest lesson there you go. is, um, that my biggest lesson is that I was, I would be successful at anything I put my effort into. And there were things that I was afraid to put effort into. And so I didn't I'd pursue those things. Um, Do you have an example? You know, there was this girl I liked in high school and I and I thought she was going to come back the next year. And so I was going to talk to her like the next year mm. and she didn't ever come back. She went to a different school. Uh, <laughs> that's like an the example. one that got away. You know, you know, it's like, so I don't know where she is right now. But um, but that's like one example. And then um, another example was like a really weird one is like I wanted to audition for um, uh, American Idol. Mm hmm. And I, I never really gave it a fair shot. And then I aged out. Uh. <laughs> I'm not a great singer, but it's just like an indicative, an indication of like me not putting in the work, procrastinating, and then the deadline passing and mm -hmm. then not doing this thing that I, that yeah. I wanted to do. And I, I feel like that's a hard lesson because so many things that I, I, at least I do in my life, I procrastinate because I'm like, oh, there's always time. But mm -hmm. for that, there was a hard out. And like you missed it. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, when we say that there's time, I'll do it tomorrow. What we're really saying is that like, it's not important enough for us to do now. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you were bleeding out internally of your stomach, you'd go to the, you wouldn't um, say, oh, let me finish a few more emails. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like what's the priority? Right. And so it's like, yeah, the things that are important to you have an urgency. If they don't have an urgency, that's like how you know they're not that important. Yeah. What's your priority right now? Man, my priority right now is uh, um, I'm trying to <laughs> work out a new uh, economic theory. Mm -hmm. It's like a it's like a project that I'm working on on the side. That's like consuming a lot of my intellectual space and bandwidth because it has so many in implications around love and relationships and how we talk to each other. That in order to have a different sort of way that we distribute resources we have to think about ways of interacting with each other wow so you missed out on american idol but you didn't miss out on the opportunity to take your passion of dancing and to translate that onto like the national stage mm -hmm. can you kind of go into what i'm talking about there 
Well, you know, I mean, I've done music videos and I've done award shows and I met famous people and I was signed with a talent agency. And um, that was really funny because you talked about social media. How I got into dancing was that I basically taught myself how to dance by posting videos online. And at first it was on Facebook and then it was on YouTube and then it was on Instagram. And along the way, like because I lived in L.A., people who were agents and producers and directors were like, huh. This guy's got kind of like a thing going <laughs> and they would like hire me. And it was just because I was trying to express myself and then I was sharing it on online and I was never taking dance classes or anything. But um, that was like an example of how just being myself actually like paid off. Mm -hmm. And I was, was there ever a moment of fear in putting that out there? Like, oh, I like to oh, dance. Yeah. In my People think I'm an idiot, you know, like. <laughs> They're going to think I'm an idiot. And I, I really do struggle with that sometimes because I fancy myself as an intellectual and I really think that I have important things to say. And so I think that I'm always undermining that with silly shit that I do, which is very important because it mm -hmm. keeps me humble. And it, it means that I have to be that much, you know, um, that much more uh, comfortable in myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't take myself so seriously. And it allows me to ask this question of like, well, do I want to be taken seriously by people or do I want them to feel like, you know, Maceo is approachable and he's cool and he just happens to be, you know, smart or creative or whatever. But like, if you see me on the street, I might be kind of awkward and I should be allowed to be kind of awkward. I don't have to be polished and, you know, charismatic all the time. Yeah, I think it's very important because just by the nature of it, everything online is just polished. Like, yeah. why would I put a shitty moment up when I could put a, a, good a great moment, you know? <laughs> Even the ones that are bad, we know they're bad good. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to post this picture of me crying, but it's still interesting. Oh, I'm ugly, you know, but yeah, am I really? It's like interesting, you know? Yeah. So it's, it is that. It's like recognizing that I want to always undermine the believability of my performance so that people remember that it is a performance. Mm -hmm. mm. Well put. What what is some of the highlights of where dancing has taken you or projects that you've done? You know, I think one of the highlights was, I mean, I did this, this big video with Justin Timberlake uh, in 2016. That was really good. I just choreographed. That was dance, right? Yeah, that was dance. Did you say dance? Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Um, Pretty much sums, <laughs> yeah. sums you up then. Well, then I was great. I also just recently choreographed like this year um, um, a performance art piece for the Museum of Contemporary Arts 40th anniversary. Mm. Um, so it's like st it's still happening. Did um, you approach them about that? Or no, they, they hit me up. They hit me up. They like contacted me from another job I did with another museum. Like I did a gig with Marciano Foundation Gallery last year as a performance artist. And based on that work, they Mocha called me up and you're like, hey, what do you think about coming into doing this, you know, choreographic work for our 40th anniversary? And I was like, yeah, I'm on mm -hmm. board. So, you know. Now I'm a dancer choreographer. What goes through your mind when you're not professionally trained and somebody wants you to do like professional level work? Well, so at this point, I realize that no one's going to come to you to get a cookie cutter thing. If they want the cookie cutter thing, they're going to go to the people that made the cookie cutter mold. Mm. Right. And if they can't afford that person, then they're going to work their way down. Why people come to me is because they want Maceo style. They want my ability to interpret things in my unique way. And I got to trust in that and lean into that. Otherwise, there's no point in me even working because if I'm not bringing the thing that I do best, which is do what I do yeah. as me, then like they should just go to someone else. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to come to Maceo, you should get Maceo. Otherwise, go to anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> and they get Maceo when they come to Maceo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Uh, do you consider yourself successful in what you do and how does money play into that oh man i'm i'm extremely successful i would say that um the reason i'm successful is because i wake up every day and i get to choose what i'm doing that day or i have already chosen in advance to do what i'm going to do that day you know i i keep the lights on i pay my bills i travel I have cool sneakers i have an iphone the latest model of computer i have all the like things that cool kids have and I also have am doing work that has purpose mm -hmm. so like to me the only thing I need now is uh the last thing that will solidify my 
you know, worldly. <laughs> this is, I don't even think about it this way really, but I'm just explaining it this way. What I want to do is live in a, such a way that I can have a Tesla parked in front of my house and sleep like a baby at night with a clean conscience. Mm -hmm. If I can do those two things, then I'm winning and I'm, and I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a path to that. Yeah. And it may not even be a Tesla. It may be that I don't even own a car because like I ride my bike because that's how close I live to my job. Yeah. What, what is that? What does that Tesla represent? It's just like to me, the idea of if it was going to be a vehicle, it would be something stylish that's eco friendly. You know what I mean? Like, that's all. It's like I, 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 I want to live in such a way or like the BMW i3. Mm -hmm. It's like a funny looking car. But I, essentially, all I want to do is like be conscious about my impact on the world, yeah. myself and uh, other people. And. And then after that, have as much fun and be as and expressive still as possible. The fruit of your labor. Yeah. yeah. How does money and materialistic stuff play into that? I, I don't have expensive taste, so I'm really lucky. Um, I love eating out and I love, you know, um, going to nice restaurants. Um, but what's, I can, your favorite, what's your favorite kind of food? But I, but I was going to say, but I can cook and my favorite kind of food is home cooked. Mm. So my favorite restaurant is someone's backyard barbecue. You know what I mean? Or, or, uh, I'm down with that. Or a dinner prepared, you know, by a friend of mine and we're just watching movies. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm really experiential. It's like, what I want to do is I want to, I would rather go to the farmer's market, pick out some, you know, fresh veggies and grill them up at home and like, you know, get some like nice meat or whatever we're cooking and then have good friends around and like stay up till 3am talking than to have to shell out 250 bucks at a restaurant. That's my preference. Mm -hmm. Now, do I love eating out and love the experience and the theater of culinary arts and, and the restaurant culture? Yes, I do also. Um, but it's just like, that's an add-on. All this worldly stuff is bonus. I just, I think it's cool that we get the globe at our fingertips. I think it's cool that we get, um, you know, uh, you know, hyper technology sneakers. I think that stuff's cool. Is it necessary? No. Yeah. Once I got the basics covered, I'm happy as a lark and everything else is frosting. Mm -hmm. So I, I think when you put it that way, it's easy to find a balance and to find a line in life. Yeah. For me, and um, I do believe that there is a, a such thing as enough. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I've worked, I worked, I worked, I put in, I put in a solid 10 hours a day. I'm going to, I'm going to go to sleep. I don't feel the, the chip on my shoulder to, wear myself down to the, the, the bottom of the wick every day. Um, what I do feel to do, to do, uh, what is important to do is push myself to grow and learn to expand my capacity to where that I can get more done in that 10 hours than I could the day before. Yeah. Or the, the work that I'm focusing on is more meaningful in those 10 hours than it was the day before. But just like, Wearing myself thin is not fun. For anybody, really. I don't think so. Because then you can't give your yeah your full attention to that person or, or whatever that work is that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, when, I'm, when it's time for me to, you know, put my head, you know, when the casket's closed or whatever, when the, when the casket drops, I want to be able to say I gave it my all. But giving my all also means like resting when I need to. Giving my all also means taking care of my body. Mm. Giving my all also means treating people good. Giving yeah. my all also means looking after the planet in as, in as a responsible way as I can within the system that we're in. Yeah. It seems to me that you have a the, you know, this really unique balance of how you see the world and how you see yourself like functioning in the world, but then also about you're very conscious about your mind, your body and how you treat that and how it, it all kind of comes together. Cause if right. you're not the and best it, version of yourself, you can't present that to the yeah, world. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's not even a balance. It's that there's no difference between me and the world. I am the world. The world is me. Literally. I say in the book, if the universe is everything that exists and I exist, then I'm a part of the universe. There's no, there's no, I'm made of atoms just like you are mm -hmm. and we're more space than we are anything. So like, who are we kidding? There's no separation. 
There's no separation between me and you. And that's what the whole idea of, of Taoism is that I am you. We're, you know, life, life is a game or whatever. It's a simulation. That is a different way of looking at it. But the whole point of it is that right now we're the universe. We are the universe talking to itself. We are the universe feeling itself. And so like the actions that I, that I spend my day on, I would like for them to be informed by the harmony, mm. you know, of that, of that, of that Tao, of the way, of the natural order of things. And I want to get my fear to a place where it serves that, you know, and I want to get my ego to a place where it serves that. And I want to get, you know, my like violent inclinations or my anger or whatever things that are perceived as the shadow side. I want to get those, you know, like the other way to talk about shadow is the shade. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people say it's like, oh, you yeah, know, you know, my shadow side, like as, as, as if it might be a negative thing. And I'm like, yeah, but on a hot day, what you need is the shadow. And we want to stand in the shadow because that's shade and it offers us protection in it. And there's something that that is taking the brunt of the light so that we can have a nice breeze and, and respite. That's deep as shit. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, how do you how do you come up with this? Like, how how do you dive so deep into your mind and like these concepts? And so I'm 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 an introvert, and I spend a lot of time alone. I spend a lot of time with people in public, so it seems like I'm actually spending a lot of time around people, but I'm actually spending way 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 more time alone. Mm. Walking, like I walk, like Moses. I I don't own a car. I walk. And while I'm walking, I just think about stuff. Mm, I'm the same way. You know, and it's like going to the woods, you know, it's like being in nature, just being by yourself and, and being like, well, why do I think that? Well, why do I think that? Hmm. Why do I think that? Why do I think that? And then I try to flip it. And once I think I have the answer, I go, well, what if that was wrong? Mm. You know, try to argue the opposite, you know, so I'm always playing chess with myself in my own brain. How do you continue to maintain? confidence that your voice and your voice will be heard and whether it's accepted or not that it's you being honest with yourself I think um, I spend a lot of time thinking about whether or not I should say anything um, and I try to listen more than I speak which means that like for the amount that I speak my burden of listening has to be really really high which is why I spend so much time alone. Um, but if I'm only saying what I think needs to be said, then that means that I produce a kind of scarcity that means that um, I don't have the opportunity to um, self uh, hinder myself from saying things that are important. And if they're important to me, then there's a chance because of the internet or whatever that it's important to someone else. Yeah. And so if that's the gamble that I'm making is that this is truly important to me and I feel that it needs to be said, then I'll say it. Then someone hears it and they, they're like, yes, this is important. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, I'm no different than anybody else. I'll delete something if it doesn't have good <laughs> traction. Yeah. I don't want that on my grid. <laughs> <laughs> I love that honesty. I do that all the time. I, I look at something, I'm like, mm. It's falling flat. Yeah. It's not resonating. Shouldn't have said it. Maybe or or if it if it is falling flat, I'll think about the timing or the placement or the image of the caption. Sometimes that image doesn't go with the caption. Sometimes the timing of that isn't right because everyone's actually talking about sedan today and so mm. they don't care about my nudie. Mm. You, know nudie. I mean? you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's it's a good point. It's a good point. And especially that we're so overwhelmed with social media that I love that you took all your thoughts and, and you put them to a book. I did a post on Instagram the other day and it was, I was reading a newspaper. I was out in Palm Springs and I was reading a newspaper and it felt so awesome to like, look at like the baseball box scores. Cause I used to do that as a kid and I had like the ink on my hands and I'm mm. like, we've lost that art of reading and appreciating. Like I still love magazines mm -hmm. and how that feels. And it's just something that's like so tangible and it, I don't know. I love that. And I love it's because we're human beings and we have bodies. So we have to, you know, phones wouldn't have never taken off if they didn't go touch screen. You know, I never thought of that. like the, the edge that the 
that the iPhone brought when it first came out was the fact that it was the best, most uh, accessible touchscreen phone. Because that's how we move through the world. We move through the world through touch. If you're blind, if you're deaf, you can get through the world because there's touch. The whole, the whole world is, it's not, it's, you know what I mean? The whole world is by touch, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we use our vision and we use our sight to augment that. But like <clears throat> being able to feel and, and smell and, and sense things or being able to feel things is a, a huge part, maybe like of the human experience. Yeah. And so I really want to be, like you said, uh, I want to have things in my hand. Human, manual labor. That's like the same, you know, etymological mm-hmm. foundation. It's like the, the manual part comes from human. Yeah. And you can go as deep as you want with this next question, but, and you, you can interpret it however you'd like, but what does it mean to you um, to be a good guy? I think what it means is to be, to be a good man or to be a good person is to put your best foot forward, to honor the contributions of the people that have come before you in service of the people that will come after you. And you don't even have to think too deep on that one. What's next for you? And how can people uh, see you in L.A. or reach out to you on social? Yeah, so in Los Angeles, I have a few more book events coming up. So follow me on Instagram for that. And what's your Instagram handle? It's at Maceo Paisley, M-A-C-E-O-P-A-I-S-L-E-Y. And then come by the gallery New 2 in Chinatown, N-O-U-S-T-O-U-S, because we always have cool events there. And uh, if you see me on the streets, you know, say hi. In August, I'm going to do a, a movement workshop. Mm-hmm. In gonna, Los Angeles? Yeah, in L.A. to invite people out to just like express themselves and get more familiar with their bodies. Yeah, that's one of my biggest fears, dancing. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be, a, 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 it's gonna be a, a workshop for people who like are afraid of it. That's what it's specifically for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, brother, this is fantastic. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for being one of the good guys. This podcast is brought to you by Good Guy Wellness. Good Guy Wellness. Good products for good guys for good hair.